Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Shred's Takes. It's been about two months now since I posted my last episode. Appreciate you guys tuning back in and listening to the program. I'm really excited to have you guys back on and listening to this episode today as we uncover a little stuff going on in Division I college hoops as well as the NBA. And there's a lot of stuff to unpack, obviously, as the college basketball season has gotten deeper into conference play um, and just definitely some you know, things to look at. Obviously, there's been some interesting trends going on and teams doing really well this year that people I don't think expected originally to do well. So we have that there, and it's, it's pretty exciting stuff. But also, we're going to talk about a little bit about the NBA as well and why certain players have had certain impacts as well. So it's going to be really exciting. First of all, you know, on another note, another sport, NFL Tom Brady has retired. And after 22 years, six All-Pros, 15 Pro Bowls, seven championships, and leading the NFL in completions, yards, touchdowns. He was second in QBR this year, an MVP candidate at 44. So you, first of all, we have to give a hats off to Tom Brady for an incredible career that he had in the NFL and something that can be desired, the TV 12 method, right? The, the ability of him to win games in the clutch. I mean, almost winning this year against the Rams who are now in the Super Bowl, right? So you have to look at that and also the fact that he was – 44 years old and arguably one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. You, you, you can argue where he landed. But, I mean, during the regular season, people thought he was the best quarterback in football around there. And, in the, in the, and again, at the end of the season, people are going to sit there and say he was probably a top five quarterback in the NFL this year. And without him there, right, you probably slide Joe Burrow in the top five or you slide someone else in there if you have Joe Burrow at four. But at, at that point, right, Tom Brady has left a humongous legacy in the NFL. And obviously, he's the GOAT, right, the greatest of all time. But I think the fact is he showed exactly what it means to overcome the odds. And if you don't have all the physical gifts, as some other quarterbacks do, you can always overcome it with hard work, dedication, supreme intelligence through watching film, and also just, I think, trying to find different ways you can differentiate yourself. With him, it was staying healthy. It was being one step ahead of the defense. So those are all things to look at, too, as we celebrate the career of Tom Brady, right? But shifting over to basketball, we're going to talk about college basketball today. Specifically, we have a few things I want to uncover. Why Auburn has been so good this year and what we can take away from Texas Tech versus Texas as these teams continue to go in the Big 12. Who's more legit? What this means for Chris Beard? Why people need to stop panicking if you're a Texas fan, the fact that the Texas lost to Texas Tech on the road. We're also going to talk about the fact of why has Marquette been able to give Villanova a real difficult time this year? What has caused that to be the case? What has Villanova not done well in those, in those matchups compared to other times? So we have those. And then we're also going to talk about Joel Embiid and his impact on the game this year. Why he has been by far the, the MVP candidate. And also what has been the bigger difference, I think, from him this year. So to start off with it, we're going to talk about Auburn. Right, Auburn has been number one in the country this year for a while. And the way I look at it, pretty simple, right? Auburn has got a lot of things that have really differentiated themselves, I think, from other teams. First of all, look, they have a, you know, a, a guy who's going to be a lottery pick in Jabari Smith, a guy who's averaging 15.4 points and 6.5 rebounds, a guy who can stretch the floor, a guy that can face you up and shoot, right? He can do handle the ball, right? He can switch, you know, one through four with you and guard guards, right? And why is that important? Well, you want to have a guy, especially in today's NBA, who's dynamic, 
And especially in college basketball, too, you're playing against teams like Kentucky. You're playing against teams like LSU, Arkansas, Alabama the other night, right? And people forget, like, Alabama hasn't done that great in conference yet, but Alabama is incredibly offensively talented. So you need guys that are going to be able to combat that. And Jabari Smith is a guy who can go get his own shot anytime he wants. He can, you can throw it to an elbow iso. He can face you up and shoot it. He has the ability to pull up and rise over you. I think compared to Ben Caro, he's not as physical or as good going to the basket. But he is an incredible player. And I think if you watch him play, his ability to post up smaller guys and take advantage, ability to shoot over defenders, his ability to, to switch multiple switching guard multiple positions defensively, which nowadays is so important because if you have if you can't do that as well, it's it's hard to be effective in the NBA. You can be effective in college because college defenses are really sound. In in the NBA, since you can't camp out in the paints like you can in college, you have you know they have the three second rule. You need guys that are gonna be able to switch because of how good guys can shoot it now in the NBA, right? And so he has a lot of value in that in that realm. But another guy who has a lot of value is Walker Kessler, right? That everyone was saying, you know, is this guy really going to be that good? He didn't do a whole lot in North Carolina. And yes, he didn't do a whole lot in North Carolina. I, I mean, I'll be the first one to tell you that he didn't. But he was playing by an Armando Baycott. He was playing behind um, Sharp as well. Um, he was on the Brooklyn Nets now. But I, I think you look at the fact that he's the number one shot blocker in the country. He's excellent in that pick and roll, short roll area where he can just get it and just dunk it. He's really good at rolling to the basket. He's, he's got good hands. He's got pretty decent feet, too. The fact that he can be able to finish at a high level around the basket, and I think that's something that's really important um, going forward. Um, I think because the thing is, especially with what makes them tough to beat is the fact they have a lot of size in their front court, right? Kessler's seven foot one, Jabari Smith's six foot ten. Right, and then they have three guards who, you know, that they start, and then they they bring a guard off the bench who all all can be explosive scores. And I think the thing is, you look at a guy like Kessler, right, what he can bring to the team, and he makes them really hard to beat, just because it's going to be hard to finish over him consistently. Why was it hard for Kentucky to beat Auburn? Was because of Kessler, because Kessler can rebound at a high level. He's been rebounding really well since he's been SEC play. He's very good in the pick and roll, right? So you have to worry about the lob threat there and his ability to catch and finish. He can he can stretch the floor, right? But he's not like an legit post player like Jabari Smith. You're not going to necessarily throw it down to him and tell him to go get a bucket every time. But he's what is needed in a modern-day big man, right? Which is being able to roll effectively the basket, catch and finish, catch lobs, rebound, and he can block shots better than anyone else in the country. He's averaging 4.1 block shots a game. They lead the nation with 8.2 block shots a game. So that makes a big difference. Yes, they're not like Texas or Texas Tech where they're, you know, scoring defense isn't as good as those schools, but their ability to score while also being able to make it difficult for you to score, that's what makes Bruce Pearl's team this year very difficult to stop. And I think another thing you got to look at too is right now they are 14-0 at home. 14-0 at home. And they just beat Alabama the other night, 181 they are a very good home court team. Now, that could bode problems in the, in, the, in the postseason when you're playing at neutral sites, but they have only lost one game this year. That was at a neutral site double overtime game to Connecticut. So they have been able to go on the road and, and win games, right? They played horrible at Missouri. They still were able to win that game, despite the fact that Jabari Smith had his worst game of the year. 
and they needed help from other guys, right? They have depth off the bench, um, and they also, the big thing for them is they have four out of their five starters scoring double figures, and they also bring a guy off the bench who scores in double figures. So they have depth, right? They don't just rely on Jabari Smith to get every bucket that that they need at this time, right? I think that's the issue with Duke at times when they play this year is because they, even though they have guys like Wendell Moore and they have guys like Trevor Keels and Mark Williams, they do rely heavily on Paulo Bancaro to get buckets for them. And I think that is something that differentiates it at this point in Auburn from a team like Duke is that they're, they have more depth and they don't have as much reliance on their top guy to get a bucket if they, know, if they don't need him to. Right? They're also plus 63 in the rebounding margin overall in total rebounds. That's really important. That's really, I think, a big key to why they've been so good. Um, and I think that you look at you know, the fact that, again, they're the number one team. They've only lost one game. And they're, they're consistent, right? They're 9-0 in SEC. And I, have to say, I would argue the SEC has been better this year than it has in the past. Um, LSU, you know, they've been struggling, is a good team. Alabama is a team that can really get going. Alabama has beaten a team like Gonzaga this year. They have beaten Baylor, right? So Alabama's, you know, that, that win the other night was a big win, right? Alabama has guys like Shackelford and Quinterly who can really score at a high level, especially in transition, breaking their guys off the dribble, right? So... The, you know, the fact that they're winning these games shows you how, again, they're not an, an old team, really, right? Jabari Smith's a freshman. Kessler's a sophomore. A lot of their guards are underclassmen. It, it's, it's a huge testament to Bruce Pearl and what he's been able to provide for these guys and this team, right? So what do I see as a difference between them and other teams around the country? Well, Gonzaga has that two-headed monster at big, right? Timmy and Chet Holmgren, right? Chad Holmgren plays more of the power forward spot because he likes to stretch the court, right? He likes to handle the ball a little bit more. And both guys can handle it. But I, I, besides Chad Holmgren, I see a major athleticism advantage for a team like Auburn, right? I think Drew Timmy would struggle to finish over a guy like Kessler, even though I think Timmy's a, is one of the more – I think Timmy's the most skilled big we have, maybe him or Paolo Bencaro in the country, um, at least in the top-end teams. I mean, like you look at like Travion Williams, Zach Eady, EJ Waddell, right? Guys who are like obviously very skilled bigs. But I think that you look at the fact that Drew Timmy and his career has struggled against teams that, I mean, like Texas Tech did a great job because they doubled him a lot, but he struggled against Duke. He didn't, I mean, he, he, like in terms of he didn't shoot an overly amazing percentage, right? UCLA, he played pretty well because UCLA doesn't have a whole lot of length at the rim, right? They have a lot of length on the perimeter, but a whole, not a whole lot of length at the rim. And that is a different, like UCLA is a fantastic team, but I think that was a big difference. And I think Auburn could bode problems for Gonzaga in that realm. And I think their guards are a lot faster in transition um, than Gonzaga necessarily. I think Gonzaga is a very good team, but also the problem is Gonzaga, when they play against teams who are a little bit more athletic this year, like a Duke at Alabama, they have had some struggles, right? So that is something I look at. Purdue is a similar kind of team. Purdue can play against athletic teams from the, from the perimeter because Jane and Ivy, Eric Hunter, Sasha Stajakovic, um, Stefano, my apologies, and you know, those guys can, can, you know, play with perimeter guards. But, again, you're putting Travion Williams and Zach Eady against really athletic bigs who are mobile. That is a problem for them, right? E.J. Liddell, um, you know, the guard in the four with Mason Gillis, um, they, they're able to do pretty well. But I'm saying when you have, to, you have to guard pick and rolls, especially with Kessler rolling to the rim, that is a problem, right? Purdue is very big, very physical inside. The Purdue's formula could be to get Kessler in foul trouble. But I would say defensively, Purdue would struggle a lot because their bigs do deep, do deep corrals and deep drops. 
and having that opportunity with a guard to get in and just kick it to Kessler, kick it out for three. Auburn's got a lot of issues, right, uh, for teams to face. But, you know, that, and then, you, know look, you look at, like, Kentucky, for example. They've beaten Kentucky, right? Um, you look at Kansas. Kansas has been wildly inconsistent. Um, you look at, you know, Duke, for example. Duke, I think Duke's the most talented team in the country, but Trevor Keels is injured. And I, like I said before, they rely a little too heavily on Paulo Pencaro to get buckets for them. Right, they can get a little stagnant offensively, um, and you know that can hurt them a little bit. But the biggest thing I want to say with Auburn too is that they do have some weaknesses, though. I think the fact is, if Kessler gets in foul trouble, they are significantly worse defensively. I think the fact is, you know, when you have to when you're guarding Jabari Smith, you got to make him drive to the basket and not just shoot over the top of you. I think that you you can force their guards to be turnover prone because they do play really fast. So I think if you slow the game down you're able to really make things difficult for them in terms of just keeping in the half court and not allowing them to get in transition. Um, I think that's something like, it's like if you're playing against Duke a little bit, you want to keep Duke in the half court as well, right? You don't want Duke to be able to get out in transition with their athleticism and size, right? So that, that is a little bit of a difference there too, right? But overall, look, Auburn has deserved to be the number one team in the country at the moment. And I think they're, they're going to continue to be really good. And look, I mean, I, I always like teams, especially who – share the basketball and all things like that. And they've done a really good job of that. So I think that's been something that's been really important for them as they've gotten to this point. So they, they've been really, really good at this point and re- really dynamic in my opinion. Um, you know, I, I think what we're going to do now is we're going to take a, a quick break. When I come back, we'll talk about Chris Beard's return to Texas Tech. We're going to talk about what has Texas Tech done this well this year what do I think of Texas and, you know, is this loss really that big of a deal? And what does this mean for the big 12 going forward? All that we're coming back up when we return. Welcome back guys. This is our second segment. So transitioning in, obviously look right. When people depart from major institutions and go leave for other places, right? There's a lot of anticipation about the return, right? I think the big ones you think about, not just in college, but freshly is LeBron returning to Cleveland in 2014, uh, no, I'm sorry, 2010, I apologize there, 2010, uh, when he returned to Cleveland from the Miami Heat and, you know, had a historic game up there, right? You look at the fact of, um, Brady returning to New England and, and you look at this, this one now with Chris Beard returning to Texas Tech, a team that he built into a final four team back in 20, sorry, national championship contender back in 2019 and a team that lost in the round of 32 a year ago, but an elite eight team, a team that gets gone to sweet 16s and he's never lost or never had less, excuse me, than 18 wins in a season. I when he's at Texas tech. So he built an incredible program built on defense, toughness, sharing the ball. Right. But team that was a little stagnant offensively at times, but an unbelievably good defensive team. Right. So he left for Texas, right. Which, Obviously, Texas Tech fans are really angry about that, right? That's like their cross-time, you know, cross-state rival um, in Austin, right? You know, Lubbock and Austin, right? That, like, you, you know, obviously those are the where these two teams, you know, would play. But the game in Lubbock was was definitely a really hostile environment. I don't know if anyone saw the the social media feeds, basically, of you know people, you know, yelling at his bus, and I thought it was a little over the top, to be honest with you. I, I think that's a little. Obviously, if you want to boo the guy and everything like that, that's that's fair game. I mean, like everyone does that for teams they are rival schools. Like that's that's fine. But going across the line where there's you know just a little too many theatrics going on, I wasn't necessarily a fan of that. Um, 
But nonetheless, right, Texas Tech came in and came ready to play. And I think the big thing was, and this has been a thing that I think I've, I've noticed quite, quite big in these big, big 12 games, especially with teams who defend at a high level, is who's going to shoot the three better and who's going, to, who's going to have more assists and who's going to rebound the ball better. Well, if you look at this game, despite the fact that Texas had a bigger size advantage with uh, Christian Bishop, Timmy Allen, and Trey Mitchell, Trey Mitchell's six foot ten, Christian Bishop's about six eight, and Timmy Allen's about six six, versus Kevin O'Banner is about six seven, um, Williams, who's um, about six eight, right? Texas Tech out rebounded them thirty seven to twenty eight, and Texas Tech won this game by the way seventy seven to sixty four. Probably should have started off with that, right? But they out-rebounded them by nine. Texas Tech did. They had 13 assists to Texas' 10 assists, even though both teams had 14 turnovers. And three-point line, Texas shot 26%. Texas Tech shot 42% from the three-point line. Why is that important? Well, because, again, right, extra rebounds means extra possessions for a team like Texas Tech. It also means that you're keeping Texas off the glass, which, again, with their size, that's been – you know, something that I think I've been a little disappointed by with, with Texas is the fact that I think, you know, they, I think they could have taken more advantage with their size. But again, like it's hard in those type of games, especially the way Texas Tech plays defense. And, and, and just because you have size, does not mean you're always going to get, you know, be able to re- out-rebound our teams. But a lot of times rebounding just comes down to positioning and just effort and heart, right? You know, no one's questioning if those Texas kids came, you know, players came in and did it in that part. They had that. I think it was just the, the defensive positioning. I think it was the fact that just the, the way that Texas was shooting the ball, right? They had more opportunities for rebounds for Texas Tech because they weren't shooting the three as well. Long rebounds usually go to guards, right? And guards are not usually the elite level rebounders as bigs are usually, but sometimes they are, right? You look at cases like Russell Westbrook and guys in the NBA who've rebounded at a high level as guards, right? But I think the big thing is you look at rebounding, right? You look at the fact that assists, even though they have, like I said, same amount of turnovers, but Texas Tech had three more assists, right? Obviously that, you know, coincides with a better three-point shooting percentage. But look, especially in today's game, right, you have to be able to shoot the three well. And as a team, that's, that's so important, right? Shooting the three well, winning the rebounding battle, and you know, having more assists, that's important, right? That means you're getting extra buckets. That means you're sharing the ball a little better. That means when you're getting offensive slumps, which happened in this game because both teams are fantastic defensively, you've got to be able to manage that by you know, your offensive sets, through your communication, through trusting your teammates. And also, look, Texas Tech did do a really good job in the glass. And that was something that was going in. A lot of people thought they were going to have the advantage just because Texas Tech is a good rebounding team, despite the fact they're not that big compared to Texas. But they, they rebounded the ball really well, right? And I think that is something that helped them out, especially making threes, too, off of maybe offensive rebound kickouts and, all, and that kind of stuff was, was huge. But I think the bigger thing we got to talk about is, look, is this a big deal for Chris Beard to lose at Texas Tech? Well, obviously, from a Texas standpoint, and probably from his standpoint, he probably was not happy to go back to his the place that he coached for many years and build a great program and lose when he's coaching a different program. But, again, when you go on the road, it's a little different, right? Because when you're on the road, you're in a hostile environment. It's harder to win on the road, right, especially – Hostile environments, you know, it's, you know, there's a lot of demand. It's, it's hard to win on the road because you don't have the crowd behind you at all, right? At home with Texas, especially when Texas went through a real struggle against Tennessee, the game before Texas Tech, the crowd was still behind them because it was at, at Texas, right? If that were at Tennessee, that may have been a little different, right? 
nonetheless, though, nonetheless, um, you know, obviously, this, this is not a great loss. You know, great loss for Texas, right? I mean, look, Texas Tech is a good team, obviously. You know, the Big 12 is probably the best conference right now in, in the entire country, just in just the amount of ranked teams and the amount of competition there has been. But with all that being said, what, what got Texas in a bit of an issue, I think, was too much isolation ball from Marcus Carr, even though he played really well. But I think relying too much on Marcus Carr because Timmy Allen just didn't have it going, unfortunately. I think the fact they just didn't shoot well from the three-point line um, and the fact is that their defense just wasn't as good as, or as crisp as it has been most of the times this season. Um, you look at the fact that you know, they, they have struggled on the glass a little bit, despite being pretty big. And, you know, against teams like Gonzaga, Texas Tech, right, you know, they, they have struggled a little bit from the defensive angle. I, I just think that, they, you know, they're, they're, they just, they, they've just struggled a little bit to guard the three-point line. Um, but – Nonetheless, I think both teams are very good. I think the pro- I think Texas Tech is better because I think Texas Tech shoots the three a little better. I think Texas Tech, uh, like at least yes, I, I think they have the potential to shoot the three a little better. I think they can spread you out a little bit more just because I think that Williams makes things really difficult for, as it being a five that he plays the five in their offense. Even though if O'Banner is the five, they can just spread it out a little bit more. Um, and I think that you know they don't get as many dry spells offensively as 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 Texas does at times, but. I think Texas is the more talented team. I think Texas just needs to figure it out offensively. And I think once they do that, they're going to be fine. And I think, I think they're, going to, they're going to be a tough out because they can defend so well. And guys like Timmy Allen, Marcus Carr, Courtney Ramey, Andrew Jones off the bench, right? Trey Mitchell and Bishop also can do this too. You know, they're, they're guys that can put the ball in the basket. Right? They have multiple guys who can make a difference for you on the offensive end. They just got to figure it out. Right? And I think they, they will be able to figure it out going forward. So obviously, look, my, you know, I, I grew up, you know, watching Villanova games um, and everything like that and watching the Big East. And the Big East used to be incredible. But now, now it's – and for a while, it was really just a Villanova-dominated league. You know, you had teams like Seton Hall and you had teams like Connecticut now recently or you had teams like Xavier or Creighton, you know, be able to, you know, provide a little bit of resistance. But now you got Marquette back in the fold and doing really well. And Marquette has has – Won both games against Villanova this year. Won by three at the Pavilion. And just won the other night by 10 points. Led by Justin Lewis and Tyra Kulik. And I, here, so going into that game, I said the keys to that were going to be bench points, three-point shooting, and obviously rebounds and that stuff. I really said it was going to be who's going to have more assists and who's going to shoot the three better in depth. But the, the biggest two were, were depth and three-point shooting, because that's really where Villanova got killed on in the first game. Unfortunately, in the, in the second matchup, that the same kind of held true, right? The, the, the star players of Villanova did not have their, their best shooting night, which happens, right? But the, the, the depth actually did do a really good job, right? Guys stepped up off the bench. It was even bench points, right? Brandon Slater had a very good game for, you know, Brand Slater had a very good game against Marquette the other night. You also look at the fact that you know, rebounding wasn't a huge disparity. I wouldn't say that. It wasn't a huge disparity. But three-point shooting was. It was you know, below 30% for Villanova and over 40% again for Marquette. And so, obviously, Tyler Kolek helped a lot with that because he made a bunch of threes. But... That is important, right? And, and what has Marquette been able to do well against Villanova this year? It's been able to shoot the three. I think being able to put Villanova's guards into tough positions defensively because I think they're able, they're able to switch five. Chaka Smart's a very good coach in terms of defensive adjustments. 
And he's doing a really good job with that. He, he's made Villanova's guards struggle. I think, look, for, for how skilled and great Villanova's guards are, defensively they're not as quick as some of these guards are playing against on a team like Marquette. Um, and I didn't think Providence will be a problem just from a quickness standpoint. But that is what the problem is, right? They're getting able to get these guards like Kolick and even Lewis with the forwards, right, being able to take guys off the dribble. They're getting in the lane and be able to hit perimeter jump shots, and that is important, right? Like, like again, in today's game, you got to be able to hit perimeter shots. And I think that is something where you look at the, the, the way the game is being played and the way the game's being, I guess, not called, but being produced in terms of offensive sets and anything like that. It's for dribble penetration for three-point shots a lot of the time, right? Unless you have an elite-level post player, you're really looking to try and get in the lane and kick out for threes. And Marquette does that really well, especially against Villanova. They've done that very well. And Marquette's playing some of its best basketball right now at this time. And, look, they're a real team to look out for, right? They got guys who can shoot it. They, they, they can defend multiple, you know, at multiple spots in multiple different ways. And Shaka Smart is showing once again, maybe, look, maybe he's not necessarily a guy that's, you know, a national championship coach at the moment, but he's a guy that's going to contend for it. He's a guy that's going to make you think twice about playing his team because he's going to make the adjustments and he's going to get his team ready to play every single night and be ready to go, right? And I think that is something that is really tough for Villanova because, look, Villanova's a team that lives off of skill, lives off of discipline, lives off of being more prepared than you every night. And Marquette's been able to match that right now. And right now Marquette is looking like the better team in the Big East at the moment in time than Villanova. Or I mean, maybe not the better team overall because, they, you know, Villanova's done well against other teams too, but – Unfortunately, they haven't been able to get Marquette this year, and that's a testament to maybe the matchup and also the adjustments Shaka Smart has made with his team. And the way I want to wrap up this podcast today is, is pretty simple. I want to wrap it up basically by talking about why Joel Embiid has been so dominant this year and what has made him so different in terms of his game, in terms of how he's helped the Sixers be so good in terms of the Eastern Conference, being third in the Eastern Conference, in terms of why are people looking at him differently this year, even though last year he had a really dominant season? And to answer that question, it's just been the fact that he's been able to do so much with not as much talent, right? It's kind of like LeBron-esque in the sense of 2018. You've got Seth Curry, who's a good, good player, Tobias Harris, who's a good player, but the rest, and Tyrese Maxey, who's a good player. But you don't have Ben Simmons, right? You don't have you know, a Jimmy Butler, right? You don't have a legit all-star second score. And right now you're better than teams who's, who at this point do have that, right? And I look at the way that Joel Embiid has played. And what he's doing is he's dominating from a lot of angles. He's hitting threes. He's dominating with that, that, that hesitation mid-range pull-up. He's dominating you in the post. He's being able to handle the ball in open, the open court and get guys involved when double teams happen. I think the big thing, too, is he's making really smart decisions. In the past, he would, you know, not go in the post and want to, you know, be in the post the entire game, or he would, you know, get get double teamed and turn the ball over a little too much. He's not doing that as much this year. Yes, he does average a lot, you know, a high amount of turnovers because his usage rate is high and he has the ball in his hands a lot, but he is making really smart decisions out of the post. And he does have a positive assist to turnover ratio, which is a big guy. That's, that's what you want. Obviously from a guard, that's, that, that has to be said. You have to have a positive assist turnover ratio as a guard, especially as a point guard. But the fact that your big guy is doing that is helping their team, right? Guys are getting open shots. Guys are feeling comfortable that if he has the ball down there and, and you know, he gets a double team, they're going to get an open shot and have a chance to make it. He's giving his teammates the confidence to do so. 
I mean, just to give you guys a little bit of a stat line on him, he's second in scoring. He's averaging over 10 rebounds a game. He's averaging four assists. He's shooting around 50% and around 36% from three. And he also is shooting, you know, in, in the mid-80s from the free throw line. And he takes the most free throws in the entire NBA. So he's aggressive going to the basket. He's aggressive in the post. He's actually much more available than he has been in the past. And he's doing things, yes, defensively he's been obviously very good. But offensively, he's been incredibly dominant. And teams just can't really do anything against him, when he, when, especially because he's just gotten that mid-range to be so lethal where you have to play him from – the three-point line, obviously, because he can shoot that. But also the fact is he's so hard to guard inside of 17 feet because he can hit you with a pull-up. He can hit you with a step-back. He can get you in the post. He can drive by you, right? It's, it's really difficult to guard that, especially when you're, he's, he's a guy like that's like 7'2", 280. There's just, and, and that mobile, there's not much you can do. And at this point, he's a better big out of him and Jokic. Jokic has been really good this year in terms of getting guys involved, in terms of rebounding the basketball, in terms of just being very you know, physical and, and physically dominant. Maybe it's not the right phrase. That, that's been more on B, but he's been more statistically dominant um, than maybe other bigs in the league. But Embiid's been the guy who's been more dominant, I think. Embiid right now is the MVP of the league, and I don't even think it's even close. With the amount of talent he has got in the Sixers, the fact that they're the third seed, pretty remarkable, right? The Nuggets have been a pleasant surprise, right? They're a team that's not in the play-in right now. They're you know, hovering around between four and six in the West usually. But the thing I... The thing I like about Denver, uh, what, what, I'm sorry, what I think I, I, I like about Denver is that the, you know that they're playing really free basketball, and Mike Malone's giving them that. But Joel Embiid's been better because their their teams are pretty much even, I would say, in talent, and he's gotten that Sixers team to be a third seed in the East, right? And he's been not given a whole lot of talent. Seth Curry has not been there a whole lot, right? It's usually just him and like Tyrese Maxey some nights, or even just him and Tobias Harris, and they're getting it done. Right? You know, they're getting it done despite of that. And I think that shows a lot about his maturity level, about understanding what he needs to do to help his team win, which is not, you know, it, which is be, be super dominant in the low post, be dominant within, you know, 10 to 15 feet, rebound a high level defend, but also he's going to have to do everything to help his team win more so than other, other years because he doesn't have Ben Simmons around him, right? He doesn't have a guy that's going to play make for others the way that he has to be able to do it, right? He's averaging a career high in assists right now. So, that's what I look at with that. And I think, you know, he's been by far the MVP of the league. And I think he's going to continue to do so. And I look forward to seeing where that goes. Well, listen, guys, I'm going to that. That's going to wrap up the, the episode today. Um, and I look forward to you guys coming, checking back in next week as I produce another episode of Shrutz Takes. And thank you for tuning into this one. Make sure to subscribe and everything like that on the YouTube channel and on Apple Podcasts to get the latest episode, the latest clips from me on this show. Thank you and have a good one. If you like that clip, subscribe to Shred Takes Podcasts for more content and videos uploaded on this channel.